I'll tell you about it later, but it was profound. And yet, when I, woke, when I got up in the morning and started to ask the Lord, why did this happen? Like, what, what's going on? I realized it fits in with the message that I was going to teach, and it fits in with the application of this abiding prayer thing. So it all is going to make sense at the end. So what I'm going to do is teach the message that I wrote first, and then I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read you the entry from my prayer journal is what happened Wednesday night. And then we're going to have an impartation time, I hope, I pray, because that's what God gave me to do. So it's going to be interesting. Anyway, this message is called Abiding Prayer, the Route to Knowing God. Now, I called it Abiding Prayer because normally when we think about prayer, we think about intercessory prayer. We think about getting something done. We think about accomplishing things. So our prayers are often focused on that, but this kind of prayer that I'm going to talk about has absolutely nothing to do with getting things done. It's completely relational. It's entirely focused on being with God and learning how to be with God. So in many ways, it's the opposite of intercessory prayer, but it's the root and heart of all prayer, his presence. Jesus makes this really clear, and guys, the, the, sermon, the, the passages I'm going to refer to, you all know. But one great preacher once said, we need to be reminded far more often than we need to be taught. So this is going to be a reminding time today. So don't just let these scriptures pass in one ear and out the other because you've heard them five or 6,000 times. Let's pause and see what they actually have to say. Because there's a freshness that's going to come out of this that I think is really important. Teacher, Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and it's the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What Jesus is doing here is summing up human life. He's summing up everything that matters to a Christian. And he's broken it down really simply to two relationships. One is vertical and the other is horizontal. The vertical is between us and God. The horizontal is between us and others. Why did he put the relational, vertical relationship with God? Why did he put that first? Why did he say this is the greatest and not the horizontal one? Because you can't do the second one without the first one. See, we tend to focus, sadly, our Christian life on our actions. It doesn't work. If we focus on our actions, what we bring to God is ourselves. What we need to bring to people is not ourselves. It's God through us. That's what we need to bring to people. You can't give away what you're not receiving. It's a spiritual principle. So Jesus sums this up beautifully. There's God and the individual, you, and then there's you and everybody else. Sadly, most of our prayers are horizontal. Most of the time, we come in intercession to pray for things in the world of people. And it's stealing from God the attention that he sees as most important. How do we love God with all our hearts? Well, it's going to be a prayer, but it's a different kind of prayer. 
It's not about getting things done. It's about the relationship with God itself. That's the heart of the matter. When you go to a party and you meet a new person, what's the first question you ask? No, it's what's your name? What's the second question you ask? What do you do? What do you do? In other words, we're already presuming with people that our identity has to do with what we do. If you want to really know me, ask me what I do. You see how we're defining ourselves through our performance? This leads to a performance orientation of life. You are what you do. But in the, in the world of God, you're not what you do. You're who you belong to. Your identity is founded in a relationship, not in performance. The world is about performance. You are what you do. But that's not the world of God. In the world of God, it's who you are. It's who you belong to. And if we're going to have a prayer life, at least most of it, or a big chunk of it, is going to have to do with who we belong to, not with what we're going about doing. Does that make any sense, guys? So how can we attend in prayer to this relational situation, this relationship with God? In God's world, doing comes from being. In God's world, doing comes from being. Therefore, being with God is actually more central than doing things for God. All action must proceed from a relationship. Why? Well, frankly, it has to do with the nature of God. God is a relationship. I say this so often. He doesn't value relationship like it's a nice thing. He is a relationship. How many is our God? So interesting. If he was looking for, I'm getting digressing and I hate wasting time, but maybe it's not a waste. As God tries to communicate his nature to us, he uses common things. What's one of the most common things in the world? Marriage. So God could have said, I'm a lot like a marriage. Two beings facing each other for eternity, love going back and forth like a hall of mirrors. But he didn't. He didn't say, I'm like a marriage. He said that about the church a few times. But what he really focuses on is family. Because, see, that's three. As soon as your marriage has a baby, everything changes. See, when it's just you and your wife, the love goes back and forth. And frankly, let's be honest, it's a little bit selfish, isn't it? You get all of me and I get all of you. We're all getting all of something. But you stick a baby in the mix? This, this, this nasty, I, I think of babies this way. It is a nasty little bladder with a hole at each end. And the holes are what defines the bladder. Something's always going in and something's always coming out. And your life is about the holes. For a while. Until the little bladder learns unselfishness like the rest of us and becomes a real person. I know it's negative, guys. So he's not... See, once, once, the, once the relationship has three, it's not a marriage anymore. Now it's a family. God's a family. 
He's a family. The relationships in the family, they always come first. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha, we all know this story, but let's just look at it again. A woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Does that sound like life? That sounds like life. She came to him and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? You know what I love about this? It just dawned on me the other day. I've, been, I've read this for 40, 50 years. Never noticed this. She is essentially rebuking Jesus. Don't you see what's going on here, Lord? Why don't you do something about this? She's not helping. Look at all the work I've got to do. Why don't you do something about this? I love that. I love that. She is so comfortable with the creator of the universe in whom dwells the perfect expression and likeness of God, the radiance of God's glory, she is so comfortable with him, she can say, why don't you do something about my little situation here in the kitchen? Isn't that wonderful? And he doesn't go, Martha, I don't think you know who you're dealing with. Here. I am the self-existent one the center of all creation. I am the perfect expression of the infinite God. You really need to smarten up, Martha. Get a life. Get back to the kitchen where you belong. Ouch. Ouch. He doesn't do that. He does, and and he answers her question. He says, Martha, Martha, Why did he say her name twice? It's tender. It's precious. He's going to tell her what she needs to hear, but he's not rebuking her. The coolest thing about God when he corrects me is I've never felt corrected in the bad sense of the word. He's always so gracious and so kind about it. Mark, Mark, you boneheaded idiot. You shock me. Sometimes I don't know what to think of you. Oy vey. God says oy vey because he's Jewish. Oy vey. Ouch, that hurt. Oy vey. What am I going to do with you, you boneheaded idiot? But I love you too much. You drive me crazy, but I love you. Martha, 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 listen. Martha, you're worried. And you're upset about many things. He could put your name in there. John, John, you're upset about many things. Jen, you're upset about many things. Mark, you're upset about many things. Dennis, you're not upset about anything. It bugs God that you're like that because it bugs me. But only one thing is needed. Hello? There's only one thing needed. You only really need one thing. 
You're troubled about many things, but you only need one thing. What's the one thing that you really need? That will make all the difference to your circumstances, even though your circumstances don't change. Hello? Even though the mess is still the mess, you only need one thing to survive the mess. Not just survive the mess, to be blessed in the middle of the mess. You only need one thing. One thing. Mary has chosen what's better. She chose it. She was consciously. She, I'm sure she had a little twinge of guilt like I should be helping my sister. But right now, right now, there's somebody in this room who loves me with a love I've never experienced before. And as long as he's around, I'm going to give him everything I have. All of my attention. Because he is amazing. Mary has chosen what's better and it will not be taken away from her. I'm not taking away from her what she truly needs. Why is Mary's choice better than Martha's? The answer has to do with God's deepest desire. What does God really want? When he looks at you, what does he really, really want? In the world I grew up in, the church I grew up in, the answer was what he really wants is me to stop sinning. That's what I grew up with. Just stop sinning, okay? That's what he really wants. Do you know when you grow up with that kind of Christianity, your tension is on your sin? It doesn't have a thing to do with God. It has to do with me and my sin. And then it's my obligation to fix my sin because my sin is my identity. That's what I grew up with. But looking through the lens of the Bible, what God is interested in, frankly, is not our sin. I think he finds it boring. What he's in for is a relationship. Let's take an example of heaven. Define heaven. When you think of heaven, what do you think of? Let's be honest. Don't go searching for the right answer. Just tell me what you think of. What's heaven? Streets of gold. Nah, that's too good an answer. I want the, ba I want the bad answers. You know what I see? I see a buffet table <laughs> stretching forever. I see an ability to eat whatever I want and not gain weight and never have heartburn. Spicy food? We got spicy food in heaven. Pot stickers? Forever. I see a Chinese buffet going on for eternity. And streets of gold, and just the best stuff. How does Jesus define eternal life? You know, heaven, eternal life, like you get to live forever. 
How does he define it? What did he say about eternal life? Come on. John 17. This is eternal life. That you. They cheated. They put it up. That you. That they may. That they may gather facts about you. That they may get information about you. That they may be able to write a thesis about you and your characteristics. What's the word? Come on. What's Okay. If you, you need to know in the Greek. That word know there, it's not about facts or information. It's relational. That you may have a relationship with God and know Him and know the one that He sent. He is defining heaven as a relationship. Hello? When does that relationship begin? When you die? No, it starts now. The day you accepted the Lord Jesus to come in and live by His Spirit in your heart, you began a relationship. Your faith is nothing but a relationship. And when you try to add something to it and make it more than a relationship, you begin to destroy the relationship. Hello? The relationship dies to the proportion we turn it into behavior. Now, I know that's really radical thought. But if you will focus on a relationship with Him and you will stay close to Him, you will find your behavior changing without thinking about it. When you try to, when you try to live a relationship with God in, in a religious way, you destroy the relationship with God. When you focus on the relationship with God, it will destroy the religion within you. Radical thought, I know, but it's the truth. It's the Bible. Jesus defines eternal life. He defines heaven as a relationship. Here's a really spooky thought. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Didn't we work for you? Didn't we do stuff for you? Look at all the good stuff I did for you. This verse does not suggest these were false miracles. This does not suggest counterfeits. We did many things for you. We drove out demons. We performed many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. Do you know it's possible to serve someone you've never met? You can serve someone you never met. You can use somebody else's credit card. We've got to be really careful not to define our Christian lives by what we do, but by whose we are. Now, how is that going to affect our prayer? If all of this is true, and with all of my heart I believe it, then our prayer has to be centered in our relationship, and we have to have a kind of prayer that feeds the relationship. Where our focus is not so much on our behavior, but on who's we belong, who we belong to. Issue of identity. 
Christian life is a garden hose. Let's talk about a garden hose. What's the purpose of a garden hose? Watering stuff. Watering plants. What defines the garden hose? The ends. Where do the ends go? The end we always think about is the, is the nozzle that lies comfortably in the hands of the gardener. And he directs it, and he goes out, and he puts it here and squeezes the trigger and puts some water there and then gets his plant over here, and all goes well in the garden. We focus on the nozzle in the hopes that we can keep it laying comfortably and faithfully in the hands of the gardener. Tell me about the other end. Get screwed onto a little thing cause a hole called a hose bib on the house. It's from the house. Screwed on there. And then the water gets turned on. Now, if the hose is not in the hands of the gardener when the water gets turned on, what happens? Everything gets wet, nothing gets watered. So it's important that the hose be in the hands of the gardener. But what if the hose, what if there's vibration and it just falls off the hose bib? Wasted water, nothing gets watered. You know, the attachment to the house and the hose bib is as important as the nozzle end. In fact, you can focus on the nozzle end, but if it's fallen off the house, you're not getting any water. Nothing's going to get water. You are a garden hose. And you've got to spend as much time staying attached to the water source as focusing on watering the plants. Okay, that was quick. So the idea for this was to use today's message, what you just heard, as an introduction to the 201 class, which is going to deal with the habits that lead to growth. But one of the habits that lead to growth is contemplative prayer, is abiding prayer, a prayer of relationship, not doing. How do we do that? Is there a roadmap to how to have a relationship with God in prayer? Yeah, there is. It's been around for a couple thousand years. People have been sincerely committing their lives to how to be with God. It's a whole tradition in how to be with God. And we're going to tap into that. And we're going to study it and do it. But in order for that to work, there has to be some desire. There has to be some hunger. Right, Stephanie? There has to be some hunger, some spiritual hunger. Where does that come from? Which brings us to what happened in the middle of the night on Wednesday, which absolutely rocked my world and undid me in a major, major way. In the middle of the night, oh, this is what I wrote in my prayer journal the next morning. I had the most amazing experience in the middle of the night last night it either started with a dream or it ended with a dream. The experience that mattered most was not a dream. I woke up with an overwhelming desire to know God intimately. More. There must be more. And what I noticed about this desire, I thought of desire, and immediately I thought of that verse, um, 1 Corinthians 14.1, 
eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And I realized immediately, that's not what I'm desiring right now. I'm not desiring spiritual gifts. It has nothing to do with what I do. It has to do only with my relationship with God. It was a desire just for him to know him more deeply. It became more and more a craving until I was physically convulsing with cramps in my stomach, but without any pain. I was doubled over in bed, cramping up with spasms going through my body, which sounds horrible, but it wasn't. It was really nice, actually. It was intense. There was this crazy craving to know him more, and it was absolutely overwhelming. I have never felt anything like this before in my life. And it got stronger and stronger and stronger. And I found myself calling out to God. I said, I kept thinking and saying to God, don't let this fade. Don't let this desire go away. I was crying and crying out to him not to let this hunger stop. And it just kept on going. And I just begged him, please don't let this stop. Because it's one of the purest moments of my rotten little life. And when, you, you're th- and when it's happening, you just don't want it to stop. Don't let this hunger stop. And then I had this realization. If I could somehow impart this to others, it would be the only thing I would teach and do for the rest of my life. It's that important. It's all that matters. And I realized it had little to do with me. I didn't start this and I can't make it continue. And I kept thinking, how can I protect this longing for more of God? How can I steward this longing for more of God? What do you want to do with this, Lord? This can't be just for me. It just logically can't. There's some purpose here. How can, can I somehow impart this to others? And then, it, and I mean, stupid idiot, right? Should be obvious, but it wasn't. When I woke up in the morning, it had already begun to fade. And it just hurts when something like that begins to fade. And I realized this isn't going to last very long because life is going to happen again. I'm going to lose this thing that's so precious in the moment. But I realized maybe there's an application, you know? Maybe there's something I'm supposed to do with this. Of course, there's something you're supposed to do with it, you idiot. Then I realized I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach abiding prayer today. And this is the best way I know how to draw close to God. This is the best way I know. So I decided to talk about this on Sunday and to at least try to impart it, impart it to our people so at least I can try to steward this experience as best I can. Which brings us to today. We don't have control over our desire. We wish we could. We wish we could reach out into our hearts and just turn it up somehow. I don't know about you, but I can't control my desire. It's a passion that arises within me. It's not something I pretend or fake into existence. I can treat my wife lovingly but I cannot increase my love for my wife. The experience of love. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
And oftentimes, the, the, my love for my wife will increase as I treat her better. I'll find myself loving her more. It's a great gift of God. But I didn't make that increased love happen. The Christian life is a life of response. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't initiate and create spirituality. We don't initiate and create goodness. That would be self-righteousness if we could do that. We respond to his goodness and his goodness alters us and changes us from the inside and we find ourselves behaving differently. But we cannot take credit for that. And the minute you think you're going to take credit for it, you're acting biblically. You're perfectly in accordance with the Bible. You are a perfect Pharisee. There is a biblical precedent for that kind of life. You're a Pharisee. You're what Jesus despises, which is self-righteous. Because now it's coming from your goodness, not his. And you're going to get the credit. And you can take that credit. If we're going to pursue God, we've got to have a desire to pursue God. If we're going to get through the discipline of empty times, dead air with him, not being easy, when he doesn't seem to be talking, when we seem to be wasting our time, when we just come for the habit, you know, we, yeah, habitually I come to you, but you're sure not saying much. Ever experienced that? I went through a couple of years of depression, really serious depression. I prayed for over a year for a car accident. I thought of taking my own life, but I knew it was wrong. I just couldn't do it. So every day I prayed for a car accident to take me. And I kept coming to God for over a year, and it was the worst quiet times you've ever seen because there was nothing there. He was conspicuous by his absence. I did it because a habit was built into me and learning this kind of prayer. So I just kept showing up. Started to pull out of the depression a year, year and a half later. And I look back on those quiet times when he never said a word. He just seemed to be not there. But I realized he was there. He was... He was the perfect friend didn't criticize me for my brokenness. He didn't give me advice. He was just there with me in my pain. He didn't give me any advice. Anything he would have said would have been nothing. It wouldn't have made much difference to my situation. He knew that. When it was all over, and I came out of it, there was a new word I had for him, friend. See, I'd experienced him as father, and it was life-changing, master and Lord. But I never understood friend until that. We need the desire. We need the passion. And we can't manufacture it. But he can impart it. He can give it to you. And when it begins to happen, it changes you. And now you have the energy to make choices to draw close to him. So, 
what we're going to try is a little impartation. Let's see if we can, let's see if it'll work that he will awaken in us an impartation of what, something of what I experienced on Wednesday night, which is this great longing to know him. Because it all starts with that longing. And then we take practical application. Maybe you come to the, the class on, contempt, on abiding prayer. Maybe you don't. It, you know, that's how he directs you. But we've got to have the desire. We've got to have the passion. Before we go into the impartation time, I want to say, for those of you who may not be familiar with, with impartation, um, it is uh, extremely biblical. The Bible says that the fivefold ministry of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is for the equipping of you all, the saints, for the work of ministry. Um, the equipping, part of the equipping is impartation, like God says to Moses, I'm going to take a portion of the spirit that's on you and I'm going to put it on Joshua so he can lead my people. Uh, Elijah, Elisha says, you know, Father, Father, I want, you know, a double portion. And so Elijah transfers the anointing. Paul transfers the anointing to Timothy, and he says, the gift that's in you by the laying on of my hands. Jesus called his disciples and imparted to them authority to cast out demons, heal the sick. So this impartation right here is part of our job. And so when when you said, you know, this has got to be for someone other than just me, um, and it was like, well, of course, because Mark's been doing this for four decades around the world where God gives him uh, spiritual anointings, graces, gifts that get imparted to others. And so th we don't want to waste this moment. God gave uh, this prophet a, an, an encounter for us. And so we need to be in a receiving posture. And I know Mark would agree with this. We can't control whether you get it or not. We can't control the measure. In fact, God said to Moses, I'm going to take a portion of the spirit that's on you, and I'm going to put it on Joshua. And so God gets to decide who gets what. But we need to be in a place where we are wanting whatever God wants to give to us. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Okay, so thank you for saying that. The measure of an experience is up to him. The experience itself is up to him. But the, but the asking and inviting... And take, you remember Jesus very often had some response from a person he was going to heal. Stretch out your hand, stand up, go do this, go do that. He always involved them in some choice they, they could make. They had the freedom and ability to make. He involved them in what was going to happen. They did what was humanly possible so that he could do what was humanly impossible. Right? So what is humanly possible is to say, yes, uh, uh, my heart has been touched by this message, I want something, Lord, I want that desire, give it to me. That's humanly possible. What he chooses to do with it, the measure, the intensity, etc., that's his business. We trust him with that. Maybe, maybe at this point in your life, he does absolutely nothing. Or maybe he takes the first little installment and then adds some more later. I don't know. But he'll always show us what to do with the last portion of what he gave us. He'll always show you how to apply the last portion of what he just, uh, what he gave you. Okay? So if, and don't do this unless this is legit. If 
you want an increased desire for the relationship with him, come forward and we'll lay hands on you and invite the Spirit to stir that up inside of you. But if the timing's not right and you know, yeah, this would just be an emotional thing, this isn't really what, you know, I'm not open to that, then don't. Integrity's really, really important. But if you want that, why don't you come forward and we'll lay hands on you and we'll stir it up if we can and see what happens. Okay? So let's do it. No magic in this, but it's a posture of receiving. It's like saying, God, I want something from you. I, I, I expect something from you. It's part of that involving yourself, your body, physically, into what God wants to do. And I'm just going to pray for you and uh, impart spiritual hunger for relationship with God, for a deeper experience, deeper understanding of Him. And we're just going to pray quickly and lay on hands on everyone that wants this, and then God's going to unravel in your life what he wants to do. Yes, Lord, for Michaela, Lord Jesus. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, pray for an impartation, Lord, of spiritual hunger to know you better. Spiritual hunger, Lord, to know you better. Give it. Holy Spirit, come and, and fill her. Fill him with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Passion for Jesus passion for God, passion for the Holy Spirit, passion for the Father. Increase it in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill him, Lord. Fill him, Lord. More of you. Stir it up, Lord. Stir up that passion for you and you only. Nothing but you. Nothing but you. This is an expression some of you are going to take from here. Nothing but you. Jesus plus nothing. The Father plus nothing. Just give it to me, Lord. I imparted in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. More, Lord. More. More of your passion for these, your children, Lord. You love them, Lord. Fill them with a hunger for you beyond anything he's ever experienced before, be beyond anything she's ever experienced before. More, Lord. More, Lord. Fill them, Lord Jesus. Stir it up. Stir it up, Holy Spirit. Passion to know the Father. Passion to know you more, Lord. Fill him up, Lord. Touch him. Go deep. Go deep. The Lord says, there's somebody here, you got doubts. Like, I've tried this before and it didn't really work and it was just a little phase. Just ignore that. That's, that's the enemy trying to talk you out of a gift. Just trying to talk you out of a gift like you don't deserve it. Give it to her anyway, Lord. Give it to her anyway. Give it to her. Give it to her anyway. Yes, yes, the Lord says, yes, I can do it again. Yes, yes, I can do it again. Yes, I'm restoring your first love. Yes, I'm restoring your first love. The Lord says, yes, yes, that's exactly what it is, MJ. I'm restoring your first love. Taking you back. Taking you back to the beginning. I'm taking you back to your first love. Thank you. 
Lord, stir it up. Stir up his heart, Lord. Stir it up, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Taking you back. Yes, Lord, we're, we're, we're never too old for more. We're never too old for more of you. Thank you, Lord. Even old men get to have dreams and visions. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Fill her up, Lord. Fill her up. Spiritual hunger. Hunger for you, Lord. Hunger for relationship with you. Just more of you. That's all I really need, Lord. Give me more. Give me more, Lord. Give me more. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Give me more. Give her more, Lord. Give her more. It's even for children. <laughs> Lord says it's even for children. Because the Lord says, look, in my world, you're all children. Lord says, the reason you're children to me and always will be children to me is because you're small and vulnerable and helpless. And I'm coming to the small, the vulnerable, and the helpless. Give her more of you, Lord. Stir up. Stir up desire. Stir up passion, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Stir up passion. Passion for you, Lord. Give him more, Lord. More passion for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hey, he says new beginnings. He's speaking new beginnings over you right now. He says, look, enough of the past, okay? We've been, we've been over that. There's no fruit there. It doesn't matter. He said, really, the, the, the past is nothing. It's the, it, it's the present moment with me I'm going to bring you into. You're going to have present moments with me. Not thinking about the past or worrying about the future. No longer thinking about the past with regrets or missed opportunities. Oh, I wish it would be like that again. No, forget about that. And the worry about the future, he says, it isn't your future, it's my future. It's not your future anyway, it's my future. So stop worrying about it. I want you to enjoy me now. Enjoy me now. Now I want to be with you. Now I want to be everything that you need. Freedom from the past, invited into the future. The Lord says, freedom from the past, you're invited into my future. Your future with me, my future for you. Your future with me, my future for you. Thank you, Lord. It's a promise. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. More passion, Lord. More passion, Lord. More hunger for you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
you give life, you give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Come on, let's lift it up. Come up for anybody that needs more prayer. 
um, Dennis, uh, uh, you'll be a part of that, please. Um, and Francisco and Mark and others. Um, and so I believe what part of today was is a Jesus restoring his church, the big C, Church of San Diego, um, his church around the world. There has been uh, so much devastation, brokenness, lostness, confusion, lost relationships, um, distraction over the last year, year and a half that the Lord is restoring his church. And, and the way that the Lord restores his church is by imparting uh, himself into it, into her, into us. And so I believe this encounter was a gift to us. And I am just so thankful and moved that so many of you, most all of you came up. That's huge. God could pour water on us all day long, but if we're just like closed off, it'll just splash off and hit the floor because God won't override our will. So to see the humility and the receptivity of this spiritual body and those of you online, I'm sure many of you were receiving with us is everything. I preached on rebuilding the walls out of the book of Nehemiah for the last couple of weeks but it can't be human effort. It's got to be supernatural because the church is supernatural. We are His and He is ours. So this was a monumental day in the rebuilding of this church. So I'm so glad that you all were here and with us online. So I'm going to ask the, okay, the prayer teams and Mark and Dennis, you can come over here and um, we're going to, anybody who wants, wants you, let's all stand. Anybody who wants more prayer, if you need uh, physical healing in your body, um, if someone is here that um, has an ailment you've had for many years and you've been prayed for before, um, continue to be prayed for. Uh, I think I just got a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is something, it's one of the spiritual gifts in the Bible. First Corinthians 12 and 14 talks about the gifts of the Spirit. If somebody has uh, issues in your gut, maybe uh, intestinal issues, and it is um, it is a chronic illness that you have, um, if that's you, I want you to come up and, and uh, be prayed for. I believe the Lord's going to heal you today. Um, I don't know if somebody has cataracts. That just came to my mind. If you have cataracts, I want you to come up as well. I'm going to pray for you, for you to be healed. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, you've never said yes to Jesus. I want to pray a prayer with you right before I release everybody because that is the most important thing that will ever happen in this church or any church on the planet is somebody giving their life to Jesus. And so let's just close your eyes for a second. And um, if you're here, you're online and you've never given your life to Jesus, I just want you to pray this prayer. I'm going to lead you to prayer. Let it come off your lips. God's listening to you. Say, Just say, Dear God, I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I believe he rose from the dead. And I am receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior right now. Now as you're there, you've received the Lord just now, online or here, I'm going to pray this prayer uh, for you. Lord, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would fill those who just gave their life to you. Fill them up with the spirit of joy, peace, righteousness, and the Holy Spirit.
I thank you, Jesus, their sins are completely cleansed. They are made brand new, born again, a son or daughter of yours now and forever. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and hallelujah. Amen. If that was you here today, go ahead. If that was you here today and you've done that, uh, I want to talk to you. If you're online, please uh, make a comment. Just gave my life to Jesus today. You can also, uh, there are contact cards, the physical cards you can get at the guest center. Write down and give my life to Jesus today. Maybe you want to be baptized. Uh, if you're here today for the first time, if you'd fill out a contact card, that'd be great. You can do it electronically. You can scan. The bulletin will come up or a visitor card, a contact card. We'd love to have a record of your uh, being here today. Next week, you don't want to miss Jen's brother, the Kim family, uh, dedicating themselves to battling human trafficking in Thailand. And uh, uh, it's going to be a great service. And then we start going to the park after church next Sunday. And uh, we're going to have volleyball and frisbee and throwing the football and hanging out and just enjoying each other, just developing community. We've, we've lost community over the last year and a half. We're rebuilding community, all right? All right, well, hey, God bless everybody. Turn to somebody next to you and say, Jesus is Lord, and we'll see you next week.